stories about migration, language and identity from around the world. Over the past couple of years, we've been teaching a free online course on how to podcast and helping an amazing group of people from around the world to tell personal stories about the experience of moving from one place to another. This is Elena's story. Elena now lives in Scotland, but she grew up in Quebec. Her mum is French-Canadian and her dad is Filipino. In her audio piece, Elena tells the story of her relationship with her family's languages, those that were passed on to her by her parents and those that weren't. Afterwards, you'll hear a conversation we had just after she finished making her piece. In it, we talk in a bit more depth about the content of her piece and about the strange and fascinating experience of interviewing your parents. But first, here's her short audio piece. For as long as I can remember, I have spoken more than one language. When I tell people I grew up in a bilingual household, they often ask me which language is my first language but I honestly don't know. I was born in Canada, and my mother tongue is French, because that is literally what I speak with my mother. But my father taught me English at the same time, even though that is not his native language. Then, when I was eight, my family moved to Italy, and my formative childhood years were spent in Italian. But I think that the question, what is your native language, is also a question about identity. And my answer will always be complicated. Now, I'm an adult on the cusp of moving across the world again, and trying to learn two non-European languages has prompted me to reflect on how language has shaped who I am and who I am becoming. I don't remember ever struggling with language. I seem to have built my world seamlessly with words. My sister Emma, however, had a different experience, so I asked her for her insight. I had a, a hard time learning how to speak as an infant in the bilingual household because I would, for example, speak in French but use English syntax. For example, in French, you would say, instead of saying the blue dress, you would say the dress blue. But then I would invert that syntax and I would have a hard time learning both languages correctly. Yeah, and that translated perhaps to me having some difficulty learning how to read in French, which is ironic now that I'm a lit major, but yeah. <laughs> when we grew up, my sister and I went down separate linguistic paths. I moved to Scotland to pursue my PhD, which meant that I've been living in English almost exclusively for the past five years. Emma, on the other hand, moved to Montreal, and is now basking in a more unilingual French culture. So I asked her how this felt, since I personally have felt feelings of loss at not speaking one of my foundational languages. Now that my partner is also French-speaking, it's like we're in a very Francophone household. And for me, it was strange at the beginning, because I came from this bilingual household where we spoke like, friend English and we had all these cultural references as well in English but yeah I, I discovered a lot of new cultural references and I just spent my daily life in French and now it's weird because I don't get to practice my English as much. This change in environment 
had an unexpected consequence for Emma. What I find the hardest is communicating with her father, especially on more serious topics, whatever. It's like I don't have the vocabulary uh, or I do, but it doesn't come as quickly to me. And I rush and I tend to talk about only like cooking and basic stuff <laughs> with my dad because we can't connect uh, as well. Emma's reflection on how her sporadic use of English affects her relationship with our father got me thinking. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that English is not my father's native language. Rather, it is the language he chose to teach his children, even though, as a refugee from the Philippines, he speaks three others. I admit that I struggle to understand this decision, especially because now, as an adult, I wish I had more access to my Filipino heritage. So I decided this was the perfect time to ask my father some delicate questions about his experience with language, identity, and moving. Can you introduce yourself and your relationship to me? Hi, uh, my name is uh, Raphael Mamarel, and my nickname is Bobit, and I'm the father of Elena. You grew up speaking three languages. You would speak Tagalog, and you would speak each of your parents' dialects, and then you learn English at school. And I would like to ask you about that experience. Well, growing up was a bit confusing, <laughs> simply because we had relatives or help that came from different provinces where my parents came from. My father was from north of Manila, and they speak, well, I guess they call it Pangasinense now. It used to be called Pangalatot, the province of Pangasinan. And uh, my mother uh, spoke Hiligaynon, which is the dialect around the Iloilo, although she was in Negros Occidental. So I grew up in Manila, which later on moved to Quezon City, which uh, spoke Tagalog mainly. So, growing up, I heard these three dialects, and sometimes it gets confusing, simply because uh, certain words would mean differently in another dialect, and <laughs> it's funny sometimes. This was all in his home life. At school, however, it was another matter. Of course, our main instruction in school was English, and in the beginning, we were told not to speak Tagalog so that we can improve our English. So, you know, with these four different languages going on and growing up, uh, it could be confusing. And uh, which identity also, because which dialects should you learn? And of course, we had to learn Tagalog to play with our playmates and English uh, to uh, succeed in school. And if we go to, which we did, go during the summer vacation to uh, my father's province, it was best to fit in. You know, the di I mean, the languages primarily, I would say, was used to communicate so that uh, we can fit in in the different situations that we were in. And it's not so much as, you know, one better than the other. It's what was more useful. So it's utility, really, that drove the use of a certain language. My father keeps saying that his experience of language was an experience of trying to fit in. It sounds obvious, but for some reason this idea bothers me. Perhaps because I feel that by not speaking Tagalog, I'm robbed of a part of my identity as a half-Filipina in some way. But when I asked if he thinks that Filipinos attach their identity to language, like many other immigrants do, my father disabused me pretty quickly. No, 
No, definitely not. There's different dialects. From the start, to choose to speak the national language for most Filipinos is already one step beyond what they normally speak at home. And so that identity with the language, it's not as big with, I guess, you know, a high priority for my age group and before that. In fact, it was English. It's to succeed wherever you are. And Filipinos in other parts of the world tend to adapt easily. They don't cling to language for identity. I'm not going to lie. This answer frustrated me. Mostly because I have romantic ideas about heritage languages that probably has more to do with my being a second-generation immigrant, bathed in individualism, and full of anxiety about authenticity. So I wanted to press my father for a less pragmatic response, but he had already taken the reins. I mean, I say this simply because my background is not pure Tagalog. Some Filipinos might have a nostalgic feeling for it. Say, oh, no, I, I want to speak because that's, all, that's the only Filipino dialect that they spoke when they were in the Philippines. Like for me, well, you know, I guess part of it psychologically is I don't want to choose my mother's or my father's, or, you know, so I spoke, you know, I, I try to understand everything. So psychologically, you know, it's not, I'm not attached to it. I probably won't resolve my feelings about not being taught Tagalog as a child. And I can't separate them from the fact that my father was right. English has been very useful to me. But more than that, it is a language that means family to me. As I record this, I'm on a 20-day Duolingo streak in Vietnamese as I prepare for a move in the coming months. I don't really know what the future holds for me, but I know that each language I learn and practice will shape me into the person I am. As they say in Vietnamese, Toi la toi. I am me. So in your episode, you, um, you, so you talk a little bit about your early childhood and growing up in, is it in Quebec, Canada? Yeah, Western yes. Quebec. Yeah. Western Quebec and kind of having two languages in the household. Um, so I wondered if you could maybe just to start off with, if you could tell, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I'm the eldest of five children. My mother is a French-Canadian white woman who grew up mostly in Quebec and only learned English late in life when she was 25 and moved to London. And my father is originally from Manila in the Philippines. And they met speaking English in Canada. But it became very clear for my mother when the relationship got serious that she's like, it is non-negotiable that you learn French ah. because I will be speaking French to my children and I want you to understand. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was kind of their agreement. They, they got married. They had me. And my father was kind of learning French during that time. But he was always speaking English to me and my brother who came right after me. But by the time my sister Emma came around, he was beginning to feel more confident and would start practicing his French with the baby. And 
So, I mean, I don't think we can take that in isolation with the fact that my sister and my other brother had difficulties learning to read because of probably like neuroatypicalities. But it just coincided with the fact that, you know, my father had only spoken English to me. But with Emma, he had started to kind of like practice his French with her. And so she got very confused. Okay, so was he kind of like not beginner level French, but kind of like he was he maybe wasn't completely fluent in French yet. Exactly. He wasn't fluent. And I guess in a way, the baby was a non-judgmental <laughs> language partner. <laughs> of course, yeah. It's really interesting. And I think it's I think I feel like maybe not enough research has been done about the roles of siblings when you're learning languages and and sort of the order that you come in in the family and how much that like plays into your linguistic Absolutely. experience because I was speaking to someone just yesterday actually who's got two kids and uh, they're grown up speaking Polish and English but um, the older of the two kids is the younger of the two kids is very much more comfortable with kind of mixing languages and things and part of it is that she does that with her big brother um, mm -hmm. so her big brother is like another language input um, apart from apart from her mum and dad's kind of mixing things up a little bit <laughs> and making the linguistic environment more interesting. Absolutely and I have a 14 year difference between myself oh, and my okay. youngest sibling and so by the time she was born we were like singing songs and we were like really into specific movies that were not probably appropriate for a newborn like <laughs> Sweeney Todd and things like that. Uh, so she was kind of raised with us singing a lot of like weird movie soundtracks mm -hmm. and, and musicals around her as well. So like by the time she was two, she would sit in her car seat singing, Hellfire, Dogfire. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a whole different set of language yeah. input right there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> And then what languages do you speak to your siblings in? I mostly speak French to my siblings, mm -hmm. but we've always spoke Franglish. Like we will, we'll speak French to each other, but then we'll have tangents in English or we'll mm -hmm. bring in kind of a reference in English and then we'll just switch back and forth like volleyball. Yeah, yeah, because like, because John um, obviously speaks Gaelic, but... Um, he very much like mixes like him and his friends and everyone who speaks Gaelic to will mix between English mm -hmm. and Gaelic a lot like sometimes not just switching from one to the other but like within the same phrase or sentence yeah um, so there's one that I really like where they will be like oh did you give him the guamach um, and it's did you give him like so it's like did you tell him to go away but it's like mm. did you give him the go away it kind of uses yeah Gaelic grammar and then English words and yeah. And I mean, I, I grew up in Western Quebec, which is borders with Ontario. So there's a lot of, there's a big bilingual population. And also, even if people are not fluently bilingual, they will import words. So you could speak like a full sentence in French where every other word is English or like mm. a gallicized version of an English word and I also grew up having a lot of Franco-Ontarian friends so those mm. are like heritage Frank French speakers 
but who live outside of Quebec. So they have their own linguistic traditions and they'll often speak with like an English syntax, but French words. And it will be, yeah. So I was exposed to like different kinds of dialects, if you will. Mm. And it, I think it's really interesting because I think it's something that like quite a lot of maybe sometimes parents and educators get a bit nervous about when people mix mm -hmm. their languages. Um, but it is, I think sometimes people get nervous when they hear kids mixing languages, right? Because they think the yeah. kid's confused. But then mm -hmm. when you hear adults speaking naturally and and like you know feeling comfortable with each other then adults mix their languages all the time and yeah so you mentioned your dad and I think for me the story of um your dad and and his relationship with his languages and how he's passed that on to you guys is or, or not as the case may be um is really really interesting so um yeah I wanted to ask you a bit about um so sometimes you, you mentioned that like sometimes you wish your dad had raised you with um, Tagalog. So when, cause, so you mentioned that that um, is something you sometimes feel now as an adult, but when did you first start to feel that, do you think? Was that something that was there in your childhood? I think it really changed when I became a teenager and in general, all of his children were getting older so he had more time to kind of devote to social activities and he got really involved with the local Filipino Canadian community and that's where I felt it because everyone kind of turned to me and expected me to know and then I didn't and then I would see other children of Filipinos there so people my age who were fluent mm. and then I kind of felt left out of that so I made, there's an interesting Canadian podcast called Bad Filipino <laughs> about kind of this. You kind of feel like a bad Filipino. You're just like, oh, I don't I mm. don't know how to connect with this side of the culture that suddenly my father seems like very interested in and very proud of. And now I feel like disconnected. Mm. And yeah, I can definitely relate to this as someone with a mum who um, is bilingual in Polish and English who... Um, tried to pass it on to me a little bit but then it just she was busy being a new mum um okay. my dad didn't speak Polish and it just didn't happen and uh yeah I actually yesterday was um presenting about some of my research with young Polish people um and a couple people came up to me afterwards and were like oh I'm Polish and my first I was very excited to meet them and we had a great chat but my first gut reaction was fear in case they tried to speak to me in Polish. Yep. And I would be able to say, cześć, and, you know, a couple of words, but not be able to understand full sentences. Um, and I felt really nervous after having stood up and talked about this research that I'd done and mentioned my own Polish heritage. Um, I felt suddenly like a bit of a fraud. I mean, I, I completely understand that feeling and... I have a friend who's Mexican-American who was raised not speaking Spanish and she was saying like her relationship to kind of the Latinx community, especially in the U.S., is a bit fraught because of that. She feels she doesn't have the experiences that she could have shared with uh, Spanish-speaking Latinx people. And we both gravitated towards decolonial studies and then reflecting on the fact that both of our languages like 
like for in my case French and in her case like trying to recover Spanish like they're also colonial languages and so then prompted being like well you know Filipino would be although it's not unproblematic would be interesting to kind of revisit for that reason and kind of finding a non-European language to learn But I absolutely understand, yeah, feeling like a fraud. Like, I always feel like I have to apologize when I meet other members, even of the diaspora, and they're just like, do you speak? And I was like, no. And, I mean, I don't really have anything to apologize for because it wasn't my fault. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't make this choice, but I still feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't take up space in this group. Maybe I shouldn't speak up because I cannot um, represent, yeah. Yeah, because I suppose if the language is part of what makes you belong in that community or part of what like ties you to that community, um, not the whole of it, but you know. But then that's really interesting as well because your dad said in your interview with him that for him that's not, he doesn't feel like his Filipino identity is hugely tied with language. Um, which I, yeah, that's, that was really interesting because I was, as I was saying there, like I f really connect with, um, that feeling of, oh no, I'm not, maybe I'm not properly Polish if I can't speak Polish, I feel quite disconnected from my heritage that way. Um, but that is then very different from my mum who feels like the Polish language is a huge part of her heritage and what's, con what connects her to her roots. So it's interesting that your dad doesn't feel that way. Yeah, that, I mean, it didn't really surprise me because he had hinted at that all my life. But mm. now that I actually asked him the question... Was this the first it, time you'd really asked him about that? Uh, seriously, yeah. Yeah. Because he would kind of always skirt it and yeah. be like, uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, he was explaining. And I mean, again, I don't know how much of that has to do with the fact that he grew up in a generation in the Philippines under the Marcos dictatorship where there still was a lot of influence from American imperialism and they were taught, you know, only speak English at school. This is the language of success. This is the language that will open doors for you. And again, a class marker. If you mm. know how to speak English fluently, it puts you in a different class. And so, I mean, I can't, I can't relate to that, but I feel like a lot of people have been put in settings where they're told not to speak mm. their home language mm. or even like their social language mm. in school. So I don't know what that does to a person when you're mm. like educated from such a young time being like, this is the language that is useful. This is the language that you need. Um, but I, I think in my own anecdotal experience, I've met Filipinos around the world who will gladly learn whatever language mm. is the main language. And so I do think it is not, I, I have never found like a Saturday Tagalog class, like mm. you would find a Polish class or a, mm. a Mandarin class. Um, I, I don't, I don't have any studies, but like there doesn't seem to be that kind of appetite mm. for Filipino immigrants and migrants to kind of instill the language in that sense mm. and I mean it is it is interesting but it is also the more I delve into kind of Filipino philosophy and things this idea of 
harmonizing and this idea of putting a lot of value on fitting in and getting along seems to be a cultural thing as well. Okay. That's interesting. And then because your dad mentions that like Tagalog was not really the language of home for him anyway because mm-hmm. his, his mum and dad both spoke different languages. So is Tagalog kind of the like so English is kind of the language of education right or was for your dad so then Tagalog is it kind of just like a lingua franca language for a lot of people yeah so again the Tagalog is a created language that is mostly based on the language around the capital of Manila and then they kind of like because I think there's okay I might Please check this. But I think there's about 170 different languages spoken in the Philippine Islands. So they kind of, it was kind of like when the French decided like French is the official language and, um, but it was like whatever was spoken around Paris and then they kind of imposed it on the rest of the country. So it was kind of like that. So they, they took a few words from other languages, but so the history of Tagalog is also embedded with kind of a history of trying to unify a kind of Filipino identity in the wake of or against Spanish colonization. So yeah, it is not what most Filipinos kind of learn at home. They'll learn Mm -hmm. their own uh, languages at home and then, yeah, the lingua franca will be Tagalog. So my grandparents could only speak Tagalog to each other. Mm, <laughs> so in that yeah. sense, it was a household language because that's how his parents could communicate. Right. But then they could speak to him and his siblings in their own language. Okay, okay, okay. And then your dad mentioned that he didn't want to kind of use like like one language or the other. So Tagalog mm-hmm. was like the neutral one. It wasn't like picking his mum or his dad, <laughs> which is quite interesting. And I, yeah, I found that interesting in terms of like him thinking about passing on language, like it, it would feel strange. Mm. And I would feel strange that way as well, kind of, if I ever have children, like what language do I teach them? Mm, and like right now my part- teach them? I mean, my, my partner is unilingual English speaking, so I mm. feel like I would teach them French. Mm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, when you're thinking about it that way of like, which one of my parents do I pass on? Yeah, yeah, It's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, I guess it, a lot of it may be like that decision as well of what language do you teach your... I guess a lot of it is maybe to do with like that decision would be affected by where you are as well because like if you're in a dominant English-speaking country, then there's no chance they're not going to pick up English, really. (laughs) So you can quite... My mother always said English is like a virus. You catch it. (laughs) Yeah. You guys, I'll be fine with English. And then you can quite comfortably, um, in somewhere like Scotland, you can quite comfortably, you can quite comfortably raise a kid speaking French, not not worrying that they're not going to come across English, because they will. (laughs) It's probably true of most places, actually. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And, but then, I mean, if I have my children here, do I want to send them to Gallag school? Oh, yeah, because, yeah. you know, that's the history of the, the place and the land and the people here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not part of my heritage specifically, and I don't speak it. So it's, mm. there's lots of things to consider. 
Yeah, they do have things like um, if you send your kids to Gallup school, there's quite a lot of lessons for parents. So I was looking into this a little bit yes. recently because I want to do some Gaelic lessons and quite a lot of the Gaelic lessons in Glasgow are um, mostly attended by um, parents and kids at the Gaelic school, um, yeah. which is interesting. It's a big commitment, I think, in, in a good way. Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're now learning Vietnamese. I am using Duolingo, which mm. is an imperfect way to learn, but I like to gamify my life, so yes. I like to keep my streak alive. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been using Duolingo for Gaelic as well, and um, yeah, it's interesting. It, um, Yeah, I don't know if it's like my very favourite language learning method, but it does just fit so neatly into your life, doesn't it? You can just wake up it in does. the morning. I mean, like, do. I think ideally I would have an actual teacher and, <laughs> yeah a class where I could speak to other people yeah. I think it's funny with like a lot this I suppose under a lot of what we've been talking about with language learning there's kind of this theme of well why what's the purpose of learning a new mm-hmm. language or what's the purpose of passing the language on to your kids and is it I think your dad said in the interview that um for him which language he spoke was always quite a functional thing like rather than he didn't always feel like it was kind of something to do with culture and identity it was just this person speaks this language so that's the language I'm going to speak now I think that's what he meant um that's how I understood it anyway I think so and I mean I that also like tracks with his willingness to learn French for my mother my mother Mm. was like this is the language I speak and -hmm. it's important to me and so he as an adult decided to to learn a whole new language yeah that way and yeah I think for him it's more important to be able to connect with the people than Mm. to think of the language as holding some kind of essential identity Mm. for him it's more like if I go visit my cousins like I want to be able to play and to talk to my cousins Mm -hmm. it's not about like what language we speak it's how we communicate with one another yeah so yeah yeah that kind of like weird like disinterestedness or in a Mm. way like distance you have yeah yeah but he he definitely like there's an understanding I think in his interview as well that languages could hold cultural identity like do hold cultural identity for some people but Mm -hmm. he's just personally like that's more of a practical thing um yeah, and he does say it's like at least like for his generation. Like I, I don't know if we speak to like newer or younger Filipinos now mm-hmm. who are in the diaspora. Like maybe that's changed. Yeah. Also because I mean now we have the internet and we can speak to lots of people, so being able to stay connected might be. Yeah. And speaking the language might be important. But for example, in academia, it's very rare for things to be taught and read in Tagalog. Mm. in academia in the philippines it's still very much english mm. and there's kind of a push of like people who scholars who insist on publishing in tagalog but it's very much a minority so it's also like within the actual country of the philippines there isn't a unified view of like what is the role yeah yeah of the national language it's <laughs> interesting Oh, it's great interviewing your parents, isn't it? I interviewed my mum recently about Polish and just realised, because I think with your parents, you feel like, you well, you do know them really, really well and you just sort of have 
an impression of how they feel about things built up from hundreds of little sideways comments over the years but you so rarely just actually question them directly to like yeah I found out there was lots of stuff that I didn't really know how my mum felt about it like I had a general vibe of how she felt but even things like the fact that speaking and speaking Polish is a really important thing to her I knew it was from like observing her over the years but I'd never really asked her why and it was a really useful thing for for me I think to to, to ask my mum not not just because of what I found out but just to find out about my mum you know I I completely agree and I got very emotional actually mm. the, during the interview and even like listening back editing it and because these were all questions that we I had but had never asked outright and things mm. like him saying I don't want to choose between my mother or my father I had never heard him say that yeah. ever in my life and also it's interesting for me as I said like when I feel apologetic about not being able to speak to Gallog and he seems to have no regrets yeah in a way like he's yeah. just like this is this is what I did this is what you do and we move on. There are there are more important things in life, and I, I just sit there with my feelings of like, but I want to connect to this heritage. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, th- I wanted you to have a family, and as I said, like in the the clip, I like English has become a language of family. Not only mm-hmm. that I speak to with my father, but that is part of my family life with my siblings and all of the cultural mm-hmm. references we have. So in a way like he he did gift me that like I I have because I grew up in a bilingual environment where you kind of implicitly had to justify which language you chose to speak when Mm. I think yeah I I grew up feeling an emotional attachment to English Mm. in a way that perhaps my father feels towards his parents languages as well so he didn't pass on the actual language but I feel like the language of family is still there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Did making the episode help you find any kind of linguistic peace or not so much? No. No. <laughs> no, it no. was just very frustrating. Yeah. But I, I think that's interesting. It's like when you do, I have a hypothesis and then you test it and then it doesn't turn out. Yeah. And so I think it was frustrating, but in a productive way. Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same, I think, about the one that I made with my mum. I think, uh, yeah, it didn't necessarily, like, settle anything, but it got me thinking about things that I might not have thought about otherwise, which is good. Yeah, and I mean, how does your mum feel about not teaching you Polish? Um, I... Hmm, well, yeah, we spoke about this in our interview, and I think she's kind of got mixed feelings, where I think she would quite like us to speak Polish, really. But, um... Yeah, at one point I was like, but we're not very Polish. And she was like, well, you weren't, you're not, you weren't raised in Scotland. And that's, that's fine with me. That's okay. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I don't think she has massive regrets. But, well, the way she put it at one point was she said, if you'd been born 20 or 30 years later, I think I would have raised you speaking Polish. Because there would have been like Polish mums and toddlers groups and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, And there would have been lots of other Polish people around. Um... And the time that I was born, there weren't a lot of, um, well, there weren't so many Polish people in Scotland, at least not newly arrived Polish people who still used Polish a lot. Um, And there also wasn't 
such a kind of there there wasn't uh, yeah I think still there's maybe not a massive public understanding of like it's okay to raise your kids with more than one language but that's definitely grown a lot since I was a kid yeah that's also my father who like immigrated to Canada in 1975 like the push was very much practice your English Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah yeah yeah, I think there is something to be said about a certain generation of immigrants who are just like you know we've gone through so much to get here and now we need to like assimilate as much as possible and now it's kind of in a way the privilege of the second Mm -hmm. generation to be like hey but I want to have access to this yeah and they're like well we just wanted to survive so massive thank you to Elena for sharing her experience and her insights and for being so open and generous. Thanks too, of course, to her sister and her dad for taking part. Thanks as always to the Accentricity team, John McDermott and Martha Ryan, to Seb Philp for making the music and to Aileen Marshall for the transcription. And thank you for listening.